Without any hesitation or any doubt, it is good for us to be here today. We say that often when we come together on occasions like this, at the outset of our services or at the beginning of sermons like this, or even when we are leaving, we say it's been good to have been here because that is the truth. There's no better place for you to be on the Lord's day than with his people and to worship our God together today. I invite you to take a Bible and open to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, where we're going to read in just a couple of moments. Luke chapter 17, and we'll begin reading in about verse 11 here in just a second or two. We have a number of people who are with us today that are visiting, and we appreciate you being with us. As we've already started with Brother Shane's comments, we're grateful for your presence, and we appreciate the encouragement that you provide us. We are a congregation that has a lot of individuals that are sick and that are ailing and individuals that are having different challenges that would love to be made well, to be made whole. But even those of our congregation would tell you that being made well and being made whole in a physical way pales in comparison to being made whole and being made well spiritually, which is what really matters. And we are individuals who are sometimes fraught with physical illnesses or frailties that frustrate us and make us wonder about what is going on, that we have to endure these challenges. But God says, I can make you well or I can make you whole. And that's what we'd like to talk about today, lessons from the lepers. I think sometimes when we read texts, whether it be in 2 Kings chapter 5 or Luke chapter 17 or other places where leprosy is discussed, we sometimes kind of just brush that aside and say, well, that's an interesting story without really giving in-depth study to what leprosy was. That's not the scope of our study together today. But if you want to these days with the advantage of technology to Google or otherwise look up leprosy, leprosy and see what a serious disease it was and still is in certain places in the world and see where individuals are disfigured and see where individuals' lives are transformed, not in a good way, but in a, a horrific way where they physically suffer this disease, where they are then ostracized from society. That's where we get the whole idea of leper colonies where various lepers would congregate together and have a community among themselves. And so in New Testament times, as well as in pre-New Testament times, this was and still is in certain places a serious issue that needed serious healing. And because of Jesus' reputation by this point, late in his public ministry, it made sense that individuals would come to him and say, if anybody can save us, it's this man, because he's more than just a man. He is the Son of God. And so I'd like to read these verses that are probably familiar to many who are present here this morning. If you're not familiar with these verses, that's okay. Hopefully you'll be a little more familiar with these nine or ten verses at the conclusion of our study than at the beginning. It says, as it happened, as Jesus went to Jerusalem, because that's his impending destination, that's where he has fixed his eyes to go to, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him 
10 men who were lepers. These 10 individuals were miserable, physically, mentally, emotionally. And they stood afar off for obvious reasons. They lifted up their voices loudly and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Love that phrase. As they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice, he glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet and he gave thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. We'll come back and talk about that little point in just a moment. Jesus answered and he said, did I not cleanse 10 of you? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is a beautiful story. I, I would encourage you to read through the Gospels throughout the year on different occasions. Pick one and read through it and study it. You can read through them very quickly. You can read through them very slowly and meditate on different texts like this. But this is a very famous account where these 10 people who have been ostracized approach Jesus from a distance and say, you are the only person that can save us and help us. Will you please heal us of this dreadful uh, illness and disease? And Jesus graciously does so. Throughout Matthew's account, the word compassion is used numerous times to refer to the attitude that Jesus had on those who were less fortunate. And we know that Luke, as a doctor, would have been very familiar with leprosy and would have been very much interested in portraying this particular event so that by way of the Holy Spirit, 2,000 years later, you and I could benefit from it as well. There are so many lessons in this text, and we could probably do three or four sermons, but I want to boil it down to four major observations or four lessons from the lepers. And the first of those is simply this, is that we must follow God's commands with full trust. And perhaps I should have underlined the word full because we all understand the importance of trust. We all understand the importance of faith in our God. Trusting God is one thing, but fully trusting God is another thing because God sometimes asks us to do things that maybe do not make sense or that we do not understand. And even when things don't make sense and even when we don't fully understand why we still do it. I'm convinced that when it comes to water baptism, for example, that someone who is very young in the faith may not fully understand every aspect of water baptism in all of its symbolic fashion and what it meant when he or she was baptized a year or two or three years earlier. I'm also convinced that after 10 or 20 or 30 years of service, we look back and say, now it makes more sense why God had me do what he had me do. But even when things don't make sense, we still do what God asks us to do. As our little children would sing, I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. 
and we do whatever he asks us to do without hesitation or equivocation or questioning him. And so Jesus' response to the men's plea was concise and to the point. He says, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Now, there was no promise given as a condition of their obedience. They didn't have also, as I referenced 2 Kings chapter 5, a Naaman-like response. You remember the story of Naaman. This was the man who had leprosy, and he wanted some great miracle to be done. And of course, the spokesman of God comes to him and says, go wash in the dirty river seven times, dip seven times. And he scoffs at the idea initially by saying, aren't there better places for me to go? Aren't there more spectacular things that the man of God could tell me to do? But go and dip seven times in the dirty Jordan River? Nevertheless, I'll do so. And remember what happened? His skin was like that of a child or that of a baby healed of leprosy. And folks, this is not just fables that are told for us to feel better about ourselves or about our faith. These are things that really happened. In this case, 2,000 years ago, or in the case of Naaman, some 3,000 years ago, give or take a few years there. So it is important for us to trust God and do whatever he says. There will be times in your spiritual walk where it will not make sense for you to do what something that the Bible tells you to do, but we still do it because fully trusting God requires that. That brings us to a second observation, and that is it is important to be really thankful. I did underline really. And the reason is, is we are all thankful people. I I think we're all people of grace and kindness and we're decent people, but we've got to be really thankful to our God. There in verse 17, Jesus says, were there not 10 who were cleansed, but where are the nine? So Jesus' questions about the other nine illustrate human nature and illustrate sometimes the way that I operate, unfortunately, in which I am quick to ask God for help, but slow to thank him for the help he gives me. And I hope that I'm not the only one that sometimes falls into that trap of saying, God, I need this, but then I forget to thank him. Or maybe it's a couple days later and I say, I never thanked you for that. I never showed my appreciation for that. Can you? It's like you doing something kind for someone else, paying their bill, giving them a ride, uh, cooking them a dinner, whatever the case may be, and they never thank you. They never show their appreciation. And it makes you feel kind of funny, not so funny. And that's the way that Jesus must have felt. Jesus is the son of God, but he's also 100% a human being who has feelings that can get hurt. Where are the other nine, he asks on this occasion. Consider, if you would, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. A great book to study as well in Colossians. And it says there in verse 15, of the text, he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And then Paul, among all the things that he could have said to the church at Colossae, says, be thankful. 
If the Holy Spirit had to remind first century Christians to be thankful, the Holy Spirit needs to remind 21st century Christians to be thankful as well. Because we can be quick to ask and slow to think. And that's a dangerous thing to do. Notice, as we pointed out in the text a few moments ago, that the Samaritan here was really thankful. It says here in verse 16, he was a Samaritan. By the way, that's not inserted into the text just as a filler or a statement of ill consequence, but rather it was important. We live in the United States and in most Western civilizations these days, most people are accepted regardless of your race, regardless of where you are from, regardless of what your genealogy may or may not be. And I think by and large, that's a good thing. In fact, it is a good thing. We don't want to judge people based on their skin color or their nationality or those things. Uh, We want to look at people and say they are all valuable in the sight of God's glorious world, and we want them to be a part of his kingdom. But this was not the case at all times in history, even in our own lifetimes, at least the lifetimes of some, we've seen it play out in foreign wars and in foreign nations. And certainly 2,000 years ago, if you were from Samaria, if you were a Samaritan, you were an outsider. There are stories historically outside of the Bible that people would approach Samaria or the Samarian territory and they would go around it to avoid going into that land or interacting with those people because those people were low lives and we want to get to the real people who are real valuable and who are really important. And that's a horrible attitude. You say, well, that sounds racist. Well, that's because it is racist. And so that's what was going on in the first century. And you remember that here in this account, the one person who comes back was the one person who would you expect not to come back and express his thankfulness to the Lord. We'll go back to Luke chapter 7 and verse 41. Luke chapter 7 and verse 41 says, There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, which one did he love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. He says, rightly, you have rightly judged. Seems to me that this, along with the the story of the Good Samaritan, which we just recently talked about in one of our invitation talks, is a reminder of the fact that we cannot prejudge individuals as we'll talk about in just a moment in our, one of our final observations. It is important to be really thankful. All 10 had lots to be thankful for. As lepers, they had been cut off from everyone. That goes back to Leviticus chapter 13. If you want to go and read that on your own time, you can do so. And you see that this, again, was not just a a physical uh, abnormality, but it was an emotional and a spiritual of consequence as well for these individuals. Let me also suggest to you this, that when it comes to thankfulness, when it comes to showing our appreciation, it not It should not simply be a private affair, and Jesus knew that. 
as they were going to the priest, notice his command, go tell the priest about what is happening here. This was part of the law as well, as outlined in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14. But it was also, it seems to me, a grand opportunity for an exposition of God's greatness for all people to know of his goodness. Jesus is the master teacher, we sometimes call him. And he wants to make sure that he uses this as an opportunity not just to heal these 10 individuals, but so that good can come as glorification to his father. After all, Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may glorify not yourselves, not even me, but the father in heaven. As I've said many times from this pulpit and others, it's as if we're holding up a magnifying glass uh, or a reflecting glass that when someone glorifies us, we say, well, hey, look through this lens, see God instead. Make sure that he gets the glory because he's the one that deserves it. And the one leper who returned does so with a loud voice. There is absolutely application, nothing wrong with us being loud about our gratefulness, our thankfulness, and being open about the joy that we experience in God's salvation. I would encourage you, if you weren't here Sunday morning last week, to go back and listen to David's sermon, where he talked about the importance of openly proclaiming the gospel and sounding it forth to the world. That it's not something that we keep to ourselves, but rather something that we share with others because of the good that it does for all people. It is important to be really thankful. The leper set an incredible example. He put the focus on God. And that's one of the sub points that we're trying to make throughout this entire sermon this morning is making sure that God receives the glory and God gets the focus. You know, what's interesting is that sometimes people will look at miracles in the Bible and they'll try to come up with some alternative or otherwise scientific explanation as to what has transpired. Um, For example, well, maybe he wasn't really healed, but he went into some sort of pseudo remission. Or maybe the sun was shining in a certain way that he felt better being in the presence of the son of God himself. I'll tell you what happened is that man and those men were healed completely by the power of God himself. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I know that I'm speaking to a group of people who by and large say that, yeah, God healed these men and made them so that they were all better. Only God has the power to do that. That's why, as we've already done this morning, we pray that if it's God's will that those who are physically ill in our congregation or friends of ours, they may be healed as well because we believe that they can do that. I just had a phone call just three days ago from one of my favorite people in the world. Now, you're my favorite people in the world too. I have a lot of favorite people in the world. It's good to have a lot of favorite people in the world. But I got a call from Jack. Jack is a 90 going on 50. And he's been preaching for about 70 years in Southern California and other places. 
And he called me about a month and a half ago, and he says, I just wanted to basically call, and it was basically a goodbye call saying, I've, been, I've got stage four cancer, and the doctors have pretty much given up. They're going to try a few more things and things like that. He called me a couple of days ago, and I saw who was calling. I, I said, hello, Jack. And uh, I said, how are you? He says, I'm doing well. And I said, what kind of well is that? <laughs> And he's a Christian, so he's not scared about death or anything like that. He said, well, actually, it's really well. He says, I went back to the doctor, and he says, I'm in remission. And I said, well, how do you think that happened? He said, it's the power of people all over the country praying for me from the East Coast to the West Coast. Now, if the Lord willed that he would not be in remission, that's still God's will, and we're thankful for God's will. Because as Paul would say, if I live, I'm okay with that. If I die, I'm okay with that. But there is power in prayer and healing that comes from God. And we need never underestimate that that is his power and his ability. He didn't attempt to discount the power. This man who came back says, Jesus, here's why I think I was. No, he says, you did it. You healed me. We can learn a lot from this leper let me suggest you just two quick things that we learn from this one leper that comes back, the Samaritan. And number one is to express true gratitude to God. Notice Jesus had to tell him to get up. My suspicion is, is if we were to see this on videotape or digital these days, that we would see this man uh, all the way on the ground, bowing down to Jesus, doing everything he could, not only emotionally and verbally, but physically to say, I am indebted to you. And Jesus finally has to say, get up. <laughs> You've done enough thanking. You've done enough showing of your appreciation. Now get up and go about your business and use this as an opportunity to do good. Which brings us to the second observation, and that is we use every opportunity to restore the focus on God. I've used this illustration before, but when you give uh, cash, if you still use cash, uh, to a teller, and they give you too much cash back, and they say, and you give it back to them, hopefully, right? And they say, well, you're sure an honest person. Don't say, I'm just an honest guy, or don't just say, thank you. And don't say, my parents raised me that way. Those are all acceptable answers. Those are all good answers, but there's a gooder answer. And the gooder answer is, I'm a Christian. And I'm, that's the way that I'm supposed to be as a, as a child of God. Put the focus back on him. Not on your parents, not on your own raising, not on your own integrity. Put the focus back on God. Number three, going back to this idea of the Samaritan, we must be cautious with our assumptions. The leper was a Samaritan and was, and was specifically pointed out by Luke himself. Luke is an author who seems to really kind of highlight or put a, a, a star next to or a circle around some of the less known characters in gospel times. Women, Samaritans, lepers, and he really focuses in on these people. These were a people, as we said a few moments ago, who were considered inferior to the Jews. They were Jewish, but because they had intermarried in past generations, they were considered the nobodies. They were considered the black sheep of the family, as we might say. And first century witnesses would have been impressed by the Samaritans' attitude. 
And so we might say, I bet of all the people that are going to come back, it won't be the Samaritan. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just guessing the Samaritan won't come back. Now, the real followers of the law will come back and thank Jesus. But no, it was the other way around. Because we know that our God is not a God of partiality. In James chapter 2, verse 9, and other places, God says, I, I don't care what you look like. I don't care where you're from. I don't care how much money you've got or how much money you don't have. And so we've got to be cautious in making sure that we don't underestimate or overestimate someone as to whether or not they are going to be receptive to the gospel message. That's true when we teach others, and it's true when we engage with our fellow brothers and sisters as well. And we've all done it. At least I, I, I think I can safely say we've all looked at someone and said in our minds, maybe not out loud, but in our minds, probably not going to be interested in the gospel message. And you know, some of the most surprising people who are interested in the gospel message are the very people that we would otherwise dismiss and say are not interested. So stop guessing. And just as we said last week, as David rightly pointed out, sow the gospel, share it with others, and allow God to give the increase. Let me suggest to you, fourthly and finally, that we learn from the lepers and from Jesus that he is the source of mercy. He is the source of pity. He is the source of compassion. You will never find someone more compassionate, more, more uh, merciful, more loving than Jesus the Christ. And there are a lot of people in the world that are merciful and kind, but no one will supersede Jesus the Christ. I know that because Jesus is the only way. In chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Some would say, well, that's kind of offensive to me. Well, I, I guess I'm sorry that you're offended by that, but I'm not sorry that you're offended by that. Because Jesus is the only way. Not through Buddha, not through uh, some statue, not through pagan gods. Jesus is the only way. I know that's politically incorrect. And there probably will be a time, perhaps in my lifetime, where I'll get myself in big trouble for saying that. That's okay. But Jesus is the only way. Simon said there in John chapter 6, verse 68, where we read from a few moments ago, he says, who are we going to go to? You've got the words to eternal life. All 10 lepers knew who they were to ask for mercy. And it was Jesus. By the way, when they asked for mercy, that word mercy is also translated as pity. You know, sometimes you look at someone, and I, I've been to nursing homes, and I've been to hospitals, uh, even in the last couple of, of months, and seeing some of our, our members, and someone says, how, how is she doing? How is he doing? Uh, I, I'll just flat out say pitiful. It's a pitiful scene to see someone suffering. You hate to see that. But we are pitiful without God, without Jesus. And you may think, I've got everything going for me in my life. But if you don't have Jesus, 
you are of all men the most miserable or pitiable, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19. Unfortunately, in this story, and it's more than just a story, the nine lepers had a strictly physical view of Christ's mercy. I'm sure that they were thankful and grateful, but there's no evidence to point that out. And therein is the story that we've been telling all morning. And notice the Samaritan. He falls down at the feet of Jesus. It seems to me he wanted to get as close to Jesus as possible. I think there's something to be said for us as well. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Separate yourself from God, you'll be separated from God. And we've got to make sure that we get as close to him as possible. Let me conclude with just two or three real quick observations here. As we started by talking about pure in heart, oh God, we want to be pure in Jesus. It's evident that the Samaritan wasn't seeking something physical. The result is that only the Samaritan was told his faith made him well. Generally speaking, and this is some supposition, some, um, I suppose, hypothesis as to the level of faith of, of the other nine. We can debate that and talk about that. That's not the scope of this study as well. But his faith, the Samaritan, made him well. Let me suggest to you, secondly, that the world is filled with people who turn to Christ only for their physical needs. And the only time they ever talk about spiritual things is on their deathbed, when it very well may be too late. Or the only time they talk about God, the only time they talk about spiritual things is when something's gone wrong in their lives. We've got to be men and women who talk about the Lord in good times and bad times and are appreciative of him in all things. And you say, well, that's difficult to do in a world that is filled with so much negativity and so many bad things. I would say that's a difficult thing to do in a world filled with so much negativity and bad things. But it's the right thing to do. If the only time we talk about God is when we're sick or something's wrong, something's wrong. Now, I, I can't find the biblical verse for that, but when I read the Bible, that's the picture I get, and I think you understand where I'm going with that. We must seek Christ at all times. We're going to sing a song in just uh, a, a minute or two and ask if your heart is right with God. And if your heart is right with your doctor, physically and otherwise, <laughs> if your heart is right with your checkbook and your 401k, if your heart is right because it's filled with friends and family, but you do not have the Lord, you've got nothing. And I know that may come across as a very negative message, but it's actually a positive one in the sense that today you can put God as the first and foremost objective in your life. Because without that being the real focus of this life, you have no focus in this life that is of anything of value. And so we encourage you to make your life right with God by being baptized to have those sins that are in your life washed away. 
we'd be glad to help you. Maybe you want to study further and you want to ask some questions. We're not going to be offended by your questions. We want to study to help you so that we can all help each other get closer to God, closer to Jesus, closer to heaven. We want for you to be made well this morning. If we can help you in any way to come home, make your heart right with God, make your wishes known as together we stand and while we sing.